Don't like it, but he's in it. Well, it's home improvement time. They're bringing out my fence. They're bringing out Wilson. Anybody in here never see home improvement? Raise your hand if you never saw it. Now, that's, that's amazing. Everybody has seen home improvement. You remember, just give you a course you know since you've all seen it, but I'll explain it anyway. There's Wilson. Tim, the head of the family, was always the bumbling, fumbling, kind of always befuddled dad of the home, as most sitcoms place dads. And he would always go out back when he was perplexed. And there was Wilson looking over the fence, just like that. And he'd go and he would say, well, Wilson, it's the wife, it's the kids, it's the money, it's the job. And he would always spout out something from Buddhism or Hinduism or some other ism. And I used to always wish, can they just one time put a a quote from Jesus in Wilson's mouth? Because look at this, everybody has seen it. It would have reached so many millions. So I'm fulfilling my fantasy. And I'm going to put, you know, a couple of the words of Jesus in Wilson's mouth. Because you really haven't gotten wise until you've turned to Christ. He is the wisdom of God. Okay? Now, I want to talk to you today about home improvement. Everybody needs some improvement in your home? Well, that's an overwhelming amen. This isn't just for married people, though I will be addressing married people a lot. It's for singles. Because singles have a home. I think you live in a home, right, singles? And so... I'm going to be talking to you today about the importance of what you say and how you say it. What you say and how you say it. Let's look at Psalms 101 verse 2 because this is, this is our, um, well, we'll get there in a second. There we go. Psalms. <laughs> Let's go to Psalms 101. There we go. We're playing Bible hopscotch here. Give them a hand back there because they are doing such a great job. I, I know I get on to them from time to time with a smile, but we're learning to run these cameras. We're re- learning a whole new video program. There's now directors behind that door back there directing what the cameras do. And we're going to reach the world with the word right here from this sanctuary. We're going to reach the world with the word. So bear with us. They're doing a great job and I appreciate everything they do. Now, Psalms 101 has been called the household psalm. And I want you to notice that David has a prayer. When will you come to me? It's a question, but it's a prayer. He's wanting God to move in his life. And so here's what he says. I know I'm waiting on you, God. So here's the way I'm going to conduct myself as I wait. I will be careful to live a life without blame. I will walk where everybody within my house. Notice, not at school, not at church, not, but it begins where? In my house. And what will he walk in? With a right? God in the house. God in our house. I pray for a breakthrough on marriages, a breakthrough on homes, a great, a breakthrough. Is, is that a Bible verse that ought to be on your refrigerator? Seriously, this is the, what, what ought to be the guidepost of the home. I'm going to be quick to listen. I'm going to be slow to speak. And I'm going to be slow to get mad. 
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I pray that we will experience God in the house. God in our house. I pray for a breakthrough on marriages, a breakthrough on homes, a great a breakthrough in the atmosphere of our homes, your refrigerator. Seriously, this is the what what ought to be the guidepost of the home. I'm going to be quick to listen. I'm going to be slow to speak. And I'm going to be slow to get mad. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I pray that we will experience God in the house. God in our house. I pray for a breakthrough on marriages, a breakthrough on homes, a great a breakthrough in the atmosphere of our homes. That the atmosphere will be permeated with the presence of God and not with strife, not with anger, not with division, not with anything that is not of God. But Lord, let, uh, let, let Jesus be welcome in every home. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, welcome to my home, Lord. Let me experience God in the house. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your neighbor and tell him, God in the house. God in the house. Now, the reason I'm sharing this series on the home is because when a family is hurting, there is no pain like family pain. Nobody can hurt you like your spouse and nobody can bless you like your spouse. Nobody can drive a stake in your heart like your kids or vice versa. The home is the battleground. If we can get the victory in the home, we can get the victory in the church because what we have here right now is a whole bunch of households gathered together. And if the households come having experienced God in the house, then we bring overflow revival into the church. So we want God in the house. Now, if you live in a family, you don't need me to tell you how challenging it is to live in peace. Even in church-going Christian homes, let's be honest today, we're going to take the halos off, we're going to get real. But even in Christian homes where everybody's going to heaven, there is yelling, nastiness, tension, division, and sometimes even violence. The speaker at a woman's club was lecturing on marriage and asked the audience how many of them wanted to mother their husbands. One member in the back row raised her hand. The speaker said, you do want to mother your husband? Oh, I'm sorry, the woman responded. I thought you said smother. (laughs) Now, you're not real. (laughs) Amen. Do you know that it's not God's intention for our home to be filled with strife, filled with anger, filled with tension, filled with division, any of that, that's not the will of God. Because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and what we experience in church, God wants us to experience at home. Now, isn't that a revolutionary thought? But it's true. God wants your home to have joy, not anger and division. Listen, joy in the home will change you. Joy in the home will change your spouse. Joy in the home will change your children. Let me tell you what this series of messages is not. It is not a quote, how to get those rotten people you live with to behave better. Amen. 
This is God's plan for your home as revealed in the word of God. It is clear to me. David was saying, Lord, come into my house, come into my home. It is the will of God that we experience him in our house. Now stop and think about it. How often is your house filled with the joy of the Lord, with the peace of God, with the presence of his spirit? Give an honest assessment of it, because I'm going to tell you, it doesn't come naturally. It takes work. It takes decision. It takes resolve that I am not going to allow strife and anger to rule my home. If you're defeated at home, you're going to be defeated in almost every other area of life. Because it all begins there. And the Lord loves your home. The Lord loves your family. The Lord is completely for your marriage. And if you're single, he wants to permeate your home. He wants to be the the special guest that's there all the time. Now, last time we saw that communication breakdown is the number one reason that homes are troubled in our day. Communication breakdown is the major number one culprit in the home. I tell our church staff often, 98% of church problems are communication-based. They are not real problems. They are communication problems. And if you can solve the communication issue, you'll solve the unrest. Communication is so important. If we don't learn good communication skills, we can come to the place and will come to the place of either divorce or living under the same roof in our own private cold war. Now, what is a marital cold war? It's when two people who once said, I do, become roommates that share the same bills, eat at the same table, raise the same children, but they do not share life together. They are co-mortgage payers. They are people who live together, but don't flow together, live together but are not intimate with one another, live together, but it's a truce. It's not sharing life together. Do you know that's not the will of God for you? So recapping from last time, let me ask you a million dollar question. What is genuine communication? Is it when you just talk? No. Is it when you just listen? No, because some of the biggest talkers are the worst communicators. You can't judge communication by volume of talk or volume as in decibel level. But communication is this, very simply, always remember this. It is the sharing of meaning. Communication is sharing what you mean to share. Genuine successful communication happens when I understand as the listener what you meant to say as the speaker. You know how important that is in a home between spouses or parents and children? Kathy and I learned through some tough times a very important lesson. We learned to do this when we talk about something that could be combustible or could be a source of of, uh, strife. When one of us is talking, when that one is finished, we don't interrupt. Slow to speak. We don't interrupt. We let them finish. And then we say, now let me tell you what I think I just heard. Is this what you meant to
to say. And you know how often? Sometimes she'll say, yeah, that's exactly what I meant to say. Sometimes she'll say, where did you get that? And I say, well, that's what I thought I heard you say. No, that's not what I meant to say at all. Okay, good. Then we're understanding each other. What did you mean to say? And then I listen. And we will listen to each other until we know what you intended to tell me. I understand. I get it. I know what you meant. When that happens, when the sender of a message is understood by the receiver of the message, successful communication has happened. Now, this is what frustrates teenagers so much. That they'll be trying to communicate something. And as parents, we think we know how to respond before they're finished. So we jump in and we interrupt. Even if it sounds loony, and it often does. It's like, what got into your brain from Mars and told you that? But it's real to them. It's real to them. Now I'm going to jump right in the middle of the message and say, unless you have to go out, please let's remain seated. Because up and down happens a lot in this second service, and there are people trying to listen. And I think, I know sometimes we have to, but other times, like teenagers and kids, parents, keep them down. Because they're on video, and their heads are going up and down on the video. Everybody say amen. Amen. And turn off the blackberries and strawberries and raspberries. Turn them off. You know, I, had a, I knew a guy that when his wife called, he had the music to his blackberry to the Adams Family song. He said, that was not a good sign. She would call, bum, 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 bum. So when, I, when something like that goes off in church, it's like, it doesn't usher in the spirit of God. Now watch this. Real, authentic, effective communication requires two skills. And I want you to get this down. First, listening to understand, like I just described to you. Listening to understand. I'm going to listen until I understand what you mean to say. Second one, speaking to be understood. Now, last time we dealt with listening to understand. Be quick to hear. Today, I want to talk to you about speaking to be understood. It says, be slow to speak. The Bible all the time talks about thinking before you say something and measuring your words. Because in a moment of a heated discussion, you pop off with things you wish you could get back. It's like an email, you hit send and it's gone. How many of you have ever sent an email and two seconds later said, oh, I wish I could bring that send back. That's how words are. Words are just like sending an email. You hit send, they're gone. And you can't get them back. So he said, be slow to speak. That means I'm listening and I'm going to let you finish. And I'm going to look for what you really mean to say. And I'm not going to think that I'm so incredibly intelligent and beyond you that I'm going to interrupt you all the time before you have a chance to communicate. So the very first thing is we've got to beware of the power that lies in the words we speak. My words right now have power, power to change lives, power to bring peace to home because I'm preaching and teaching the word of God. What was Jesus called? The word. Because words have power. God spoke and said, let there be. And when he spoke, it had power. Our words have power over other people. Two psychologists study newlyweds over the first decade of marriage. 
they discovered that couples who stayed together uttered five or fewer put-downs for every 100 comments to each other. Now I'm going to read that again. Psychologists looking at newlyweds studied them for a decade after they were married. And they discovered that couples who stayed together uttered five or fewer put-downs for every 100 comments to each other. But couples who inflicted twice as many verbal wounds, 10 or more put-downs out of every 100 comments, later split up. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that enlightening? Isn't that sobering? It matters how we talk to each other. You see, you can destroy or you can give life. The Bible is filled with statements about the power of words and what they do to those that that hear the words we speak. Now, as I read some of the passages out of Proverbs and James, I want you to place every passage I read in the context of your home. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue can bring death or life, and those who love to talk will reap the consequences. That's why it's not wise to be a big gabber, because the more you gab, the higher your chances of saying something you ought not say. Amen? It says, those that love to talk are going to reap the consequences. So the tongue can bring death or the tongue can bring life. Where? In the home. We all remember the playground philosophy, don't we? This statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And yet while we were speaking them, we knew that that was not true. When we were saying them, we knew that wasn't so. Because it's not true. Words do hurt. As a matter of fact, words uniquely hurt is almost worse than actually being physically hit. Words go deep. They go to the marrow of our bone. They have the ability to make or break a child, make or break a marriage, make or break a working relationship. What we say to members of the household can kill or bring life, ruin self-esteem or lift them up discourage or encourage, destroy their sense of worth or build it up, grieve the spirit of God out of our home or invite him in. It works both ways. The Bible says a word fitly spoken and in due season is like apples of gold in settings of silver. What a beautiful picture. Golden apples in a frame of silver. And that's what words rightly spoken, words of life, words of edification. That's what they're like. It's a picture. Golden apples, silver frame. I can think of a handful of people early on in my life, true testimony here, who I know were sent by God to speak encouraging, upbuilding, visionary words into my life. Because when I came to the Lord, I had no self-confidence at all. Zero. None. I thought I was the smallest person in the room. I didn't have any confidence to speak my mind, <laughs> believe it or not, because God has changed me. But I didn't believe I could do anything good. I didn't think I could do anything right. I didn't do th- think I could do anything successfully. I had no self-esteem, no sense of self-worth. How I got there, I don't know, but I know I got there. And here comes these people into my life, just a handful of them, a precious married couple, and a few others. And they began to say to me things like this, Jeff, God's calling you. He's got his hand on you. 
You're, you're an owner of the Lord. You can do that. You're called to teach and preach the word of God. And when they first started telling me, I would always look behind me, Wilson, always. I always thought they were talking about somebody else. Well, Jeff, you should have known Jesus was changing your life and anointing you and calling you. I agree. I agree. And their words became like silver in my pocket. You know why? Because I began to believe what they were saying. I began to see what they saw. And God used their words to lift me up, strengthen me, encourage me. It didn't puff me up. It lifted me up. There's a difference. And it lifted me up and encouraged me. It was them that pushed me forward to get my first testimony in the juvenile home where I had been saved. They did it. They just kind of stood me up there and said, talk. And so I talked and I thought it was horrible. And yet when I sat down, I was surrounded by young men that wanted to be saved. And I saw God's working in my life. They've been telling me the truth. See, words are powerful. Death and life, death and life, life and death are in the power of what you say, the words you choose to use in your home. They helped me believe in the God in me and it changed my life. They, the, even when I failed, which was often enough, they would come back with life-giving, confidence-inspiring, forgiving words. And they helped me. What kind of words do you use around the home? Do you know the home should be the primary place that these kinds of encouraging, uplifting, confidence-building, affirming words are used? It ought to be happening in the home. Because watch this. Your home is a team. If one loses, you all lose. If one wins, you all win. Why would you shoot down members of your home? You want them to win. Amen. The Bible teaches that words and how we use them are going to produce bad or good consequences in our home, depending on what we choose to use. Proverbs 6.2 says, you are snared, <clears throat> snared with the words of your mouth. You are taken with the words of your mouth. Proverbs 12.13 says, an evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes trouble. And then one of my favorites, this ought to be on the refrigerator. Some people make cutting remarks, says Proverbs 12, 18, but the words of the wise bring healing. We can either do a cutting remark, criticize, condemn, undermine, be picky, or we can lift them up and bring healing. You can bring healing to a person by what you say to them. Isn't that powerful? An evil man is trapped by the wrong words, but the right man brings healing with the words he uses. Cutting remarks or healing remarks, the choice is ours in the home. So the words that we speak in the home are hugely important. How do you use them in the home? Think about it. The Bible says examine yourselves and, and check out your spiritual life. And I got to tell you, I've used terrible words in the home. I've made big mistakes with it because I was such a natural lawyer, prosecutor type. So to me, it was all about winning an argument and losing a war. Then the Lord said to me one time, you're not being fair. You need to step back, be quiet and let them talk. 
Well, y'all are so quiet in here today. You're making me nervous. Here's the second thing I want to tell you about it. If you want things to change in your home, change what you say in your home. Isn't that simple? Well, it's got to be more complicated than that, Pastor Jeff. No, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not. If you want things to change in your home, you begin with what you say in your home and how you say it. Listen carefully to what James tells us about the power of words. This is so, so good. And as I read this, remember to place it in the context of your home. James 3, verses 3 to 5. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can get a great forest on fire. Now listen to those illustrations. A huge ship is turned by a tiny rudder underneath the water that you can't even see. A powerful horse is controlled by a tiny bit in his mouth. This muscle, this brawn, this power is all turned around by a tiny, seemingly insignificant bit in his mouth. And a raging forest fire is ignited by one little spark. Three large, powerful things are controlled by something very small. And, and, and in the first service, it really hit me as I read this. It said a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. See, there can be strong, negative winds blowing against your home, trying to destroy it. But you have a secret. It's in between your teeth. It's a rudder. And he says, he says, even though the winds are blowing those sails to go north, go north, go north, go into destructive waters, go up, uh, trying to crash you up against the rocks. Yet underneath the water, there is a rudder that has more control than a violent wind. And if you turn it, that ship is going to go against that violent wind and turn around and that's the power you've got with what you say in your home. I mean, you can be looking at the, 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 the D word hanging over your house, divorce. Or your children have gone haywire on you. Or your finances are in big trouble. And there's these strong winds wanting to blow you against the rocks. And yet James says, the rudder is your tongue. And if you start speaking over your home, over your spouse, over your children... You'll turn that ship contrary to the wind. Man. Now, I just heard somebody say this. But what if I don't feel it? You don't have to feel it to say it. That's the beauty of the tongue. You don't have to feel You don't have to be all overwhelmed with emotion. Just say it. Hey, with forgiveness, how often do we feel like forgiving somebody who has stuck us in the back? I've never felt it. Not at first. Not at first. I don't feel warm fuzzies all over that person when I see them. But guess what? 
When I say I forgive them, that's the rudder. I say I forgive them. And the ship begins to turn. When I say I forgive them, something in me begins to loosen up and break up. And that, that anger and that, that sense of being shut off from them and, and maybe being a little bit bitter begins to fade as I say I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. The winds may be wanting to blow me this way, but I say I forgive and I'm going to go this way. Is this not what the word of God says? How can it be that simple? Because there's death and life in the power of the tongue. If you want something as large, powerful, and significant as your household to change and head in a positive direction, change what you say to each other. Start there. That's not the, 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 the that's not everything involved, but that's the beginning. Critical, demeaning, and sensitive words must be replaced by uplifting, encouraging, and sensitive words in our homes. And sometimes it's better to say no words at all. I like this one guy wrote, to keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup. Whenever you're wrong, admit it. And whenever you're right, shut up. Don't be one of these people that has to go, I told you so. I'm just waiting for you to tell me I was right. That used to be me. It's not quite as bad, right, Kathy? Thank you, Kathy. God bless you. (laughs) Paul tells us exactly how our home life should be conducted. Listen to this verse in light of the home. Ephesians 4.30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Get, all, get rid of all bitterness in the home, rage in the home, anger, harsh words, abusive words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Get rid of them in the home. And then he tells us what we should do in the home. Be kind to one another. Be kind to each other. Tender-hearted forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The Bible's not going to tell us to do it if we can't do it. This is the word of the Lord. And he says, this is the way I want you, my redeemed people to live. Listen, if we just did this in the home, kind to each other, thoughtful, preferring one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another quickly, because there's going to be all kinds of times every week you've got to forgive somebody in your home for something, because we're human. We fail. We rub each other wrong. We make mistakes. We're not perfect. So if we could just forgive one another before the sun sets, just as God through Christ has forgiven you, if that alone ruled the home, we'd be bringing revival into the church door. On Sunday morning, instead of saying, Pastor, you better preach me up because it's been hell at home. <laughs> I'm just being real with you. You know, the worship pastors and, and me, we feel it all the time. Oh man, will you come dragging in here from home? You're full of wounds from a week at home. Bleeding. Preach me up. Come on. 
poking each other when I say something that convicts the other. Walk out here with bruises on your arms. Fight all the way here. Get out in the parking lot. Hallelujah. Kumbaya. God is good. Hallelujah. You didn't know we had cameras out there, did you? No, I'm kidding. Oh, yeah, getting ready for church. Isn't it fun? If only we had a recording of just a few of our... Uh-huh. You, you pass them on the way. You quit fighting on the way here because you pass the car and you, somebody says, they, they might be in church. Now watch this. Next week, I'm going to deal with this in its entirety. But let me give you a little tease right now. You've got to learn how to have a good fight. Well, pastor, we don't fight. We're saved. I told you we're going to take the halo off today. You have, okay, we won't, you have holy disagreements. But I'm going to teach you next week how to have a good fight. You know, Paul talked about a good fight. He said, I fought the good fight. When you have a, a marriage altercation, you ought to be able to say, I fought a good fight. I didn't fight a bad one. It didn't tear us up, but it solved something. So it was a good fight. There's good ones and bad ones. Doctors Les and Leslie Parrott wrote these words, quote, knowing how to fight fair is critical to your survival as a happy couple. Love itself is not enough to sustain a relationship in the jungle of modern life. Being in love is, in fact, a very poor indicator of which couples will stay married. Far more important to the survival of a marriage is how well couples handle disagreements. Mark it down. I don't care how many hearts you're seeing. I don't care how many cupids are playing in your mind. When you meet that one that you finally marry, trust me, it's going to matter if you know how to have a good disagreement. The Bible says the beginning of trouble in the home is like letting out water. So stop arguing before fighting breaks out. Now, one of the worst kind, I'm going to deal with this right now. I'm going to close. But next week, don't miss it. It's probably going to be the best one we've had. How to have a good fight. Go tell people. At church, I'm learning how to have a good fight. Tell them that at the restaurant today. What'd you learn in church? Oh, at Turning Point, we learned how to fight good. (laughs) Yeah, boy. All right. Here you are, you have an issue. Something comes up and the sparks are starting to fly. You're in each other's face. You're about to have an altercation, a holy disagreement. You can feel it coming. Blood pressure is rising. The hair on the back of your neck is standing up. You know that the moment has come. It's an issue. Who knows what it's about? Money, kids, whatever. But it's an issue. One of the most unfair kind of attacks you can involve yourself in is when you reach into the past, you pull out the file cabinet of your history together and you pull out the file marked things God has forgiven and buried. 
And you, who are always wanting to see somebody raised from the dead, you raise a corpse from the dead, and it goes something like this. Well, I'm telling you, in 1993, when we were sitting there at Chili's, and you said what you said that hurt me so bad, well, how long ago was that? 13 years ago. But I thought you forgave me. I did forgive you, but I'm never going to forget. And here's what we do. We become historical. And when we get historical and start pulling out those files, you this, you that, do you remember when you this? And I sure remember when you that. You get hysterical. Because nothing hurts worse than tearing open an old wound that's supposed to be healed and forgiven and sticking a hot poker in it again. So, you know what we're going to do before this series is over? I'm going to preach a huge funeral. I'm going to preach a huge funeral. And we're going to bury offenses that we're never going to resurrect from the dead. We're going to leave them buried, and we're going to write over the top, God has forgiven, and God has forgotten. And that's the epitaph on the tombstone. And you no longer will have a right to bring it up again. I'm sharing this with you to set you up for next week. How to have a good fight. But let me recap today. Healthy communication requires we choose words wisely. Slow to speak. Slow. Think before you speak. How is he or she going to take this? How's it going to sound? Is this the best word I could use? Stick with the issue. As soon as you leave the issue, you're in an argument. Keep the decibel level down. Volume does not mean victory. And avoid historical, hysterical, finger-pointing accusations. Didn't he say, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven us? There are some things, folks, we're supposed to bury them and leave them. Kathy and I wrote things on paper. My list was way long. No, her list was way longer than mine. And we burned them. Set them on fire and burned them. I'm serious. We had, a, we had a little bonfire, burned them. And that, and probably painful for some of you here today, because you're in a situation where your home is really painful right now. I've been there. Okay. Let's stand together, can we? I know this has been sensitive and probably painful for some of you here today because you're in a situation where your home is really painful right now. I've been there. And it's really tough to live in that. But there is an answer. His name is Jesus. And I don't mean to sound trite, but Jesus has the wisdom to bring joy to your home. I want to ask you to bow with me for a moment.
One of the ways that I believe we begin to get our homes where they ought to be is we've got to be connected to a church that ministers the Word of God to us and that gives us a larger family for support. It spills over into your home. And then your home in return spills over into the church. We are here today a large collection of families. Single those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. Did you hear that? There is a flourishing that happens when you get planted in the house of God. And it spills over into your home. And then your home in return spills over into the church. We are here today a large collection of families, single or married. And I want to give you an invitation to say, you know, Pastor, I just believe this needs to be our church. Some of you need to take that step and get planted. And I want to pray for you and believe God just to set you in and bless you. We are a Bible-teaching, soul-winning, Jesus-worshiping church. We're here to stay, and we want to be a blessing to you. And we're going to reach the world together. If you don't have a home, and you've been praying about it, you've got a peace. How do I know, Pastor Jeff, you've got a peace? There's a peace. You feel at home here. You feel like you're being fed. You have a peace here. I want to ask you, if that's you with your heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, that's me, and I do want to identify with the church. I haven't done it, but I've wanted to, and I'm glad you asked. So would you raise your hand and let me see you all over this place. God bless you. I want to ask you, those of you with your hands raised, to do something. I want to shake your hand right down here. I want to, I want to pray over you. I'm the pastor among pastors here. I'm a pastor among pastors, and I want to pray for you. And I want to believe God to set you in. It's going to be a part of bringing God to your house. So slip out and come. If you're with family members, bring them all. Bring, just come down and say, that's me. And I want to identify with this church today. Come on. You raise your hand. Just come down. Bring the whole crew. Just bring them down. And we're going to worship and give these folks time to come. Amen.